welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and on today's episode, Nathan Giles returns to discuss Psalm 58 with me. This psalm, as I say in the episode, gobsmacked me, and it was so helpful to have Nathan here to help us think through maybe some of the nuances of the interpretation of the psalm, and also to point us quickly to how the New Testament helps us to pray this psalm. We wrestle with this idea of the imprecatory psalms, these psalms that call for judgment, and what they mean for us. I hope it's as stimulating and encouraging and helpful for you, listener, as it was for me. To get us started and going, here is Nathan, reading Psalm 58. Do you rulers indeed speak justly? Do you judge people with equity? No, in your heart you devise injustice, and your hands mete out violence on the earth. Even from birth the wicked go astray. From the womb they are wayward, spreading lies. Their venom is like the venom of a snake, like that of a cobra that is stopped at its ears. That will not heed the tune of the charmer, however skillful the enchanter may be. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. May they be like a slug that melts away as it moves along, like a stillborn child that never sees the sun. Before your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether they be green or dry, the wicked will be swept away. The righteous will be glad when they are avenged, when they dip their feet in the blood of the wicked. Then people will say, Surely the righteous still are rewarded. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. Nathan, welcome back to Curious Psalms. Thanks, Matt. Good to be here. Bringing you back for an intense one. Oh, man. Well, I'm glad you're willing. Do you want to just dive right in with our first question? What stood out to you in reading this psalm? Yeah, well, it's dark, Matt. Yeah. It turns out there's some stuff in here that I don't think that people typically want to preach on, which <laughs> let's do a podcast instead. Yeah, that's right. I think right off the bat in verses one and two, you have that rhetorical question of, do you speak justly? Mm. And then do you judge? And so you immediately have this like disparity between the word and the act mm. with people. And whether this is brought to mind mostly by the psalm or the things I've I'm teaching right now, it's so easy for me to connect this to Jesus, like this whole psalm, to connect it to Jesus in the way he engages with the Pharisees, hmm. um, which I think we'll get to with some of the language he uses. And so just that, that kind of from the get-go setting up that contrast of kind of the outward versus the inward and what's going on in people. Hmm. I mean, I'm, I was just, I, I felt a little bit kind of gobsmacked by this psalm. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you've already added... Uh, a level of reflection and critical depth that is needed on this podcast because <laughs> my notes just literally said the psalm is like kind of bloodthirsty even i think that verse 10 yeah. really is kind of haunting the righteous will be glad when they are avenged when they dip their feet in the blood of the wicked it's like that just doesn't seem great yeah and so i th- feel like the whole like just the language of the psalm and yeah pulling teeth and all that happens just left me feeling a little off kilter <laughs> and like yeah what what am i supposed to do with this that was maybe my initial it's my initial reaction and it is an enduring reaction <laughs> <laughs> i don't necessarily That's have an amazing amazing turn but did you kind of encounter it similarly i mean you've come to some helpful reflections here but yeah i mean even my wife olivia asked me this morning on the way to her work what which psalm we were doing and i was like psalm 58 she's like which one is that one and i was like well it's one of those like 
imprecatory psalms that doesn't have a positive turn necessarily. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little uh, bit at the end, but yeah, not so much. Right, a little bit at the end. But I think the meat of this one lies in uh, maybe our, our second and third questions yeah. about kind of what we learn about God and how we, we pray in light of those things. Well, let's go there. What do you think we learn or what do we encounter about God in this psalm? I mean, I think we encounter God pretty clearly as judge. Yeah. And at face value, it's we're inviting him to be the judge, primarily in regards to others. And rather unhappily for us, we find ourselves in that same group. Mm. I have at times, you know, devised injustice in my heart and then meted that out with violence in the earth, just like the psalm is accusing others of. Now we have to do a little bit more digging. And I mean, we have to have some awareness of other things we see in scripture <clears throat> about our relationship to God. Because we can't, I don't think, pray this prayer honestly. Like as Nathan, this psalm does not work. This is not, <laughs> I'm, I am not intended to pray this as me. It's it's my union with Christ that allows for that to be prayed. Mm. Um, I cheated a little bit and looked something up I heard before. But Bonhoeffer talks about a lot of psalms this way. But he says, like, it's not you that prays this. It's you essentially like quoting or praying as the voice of innocence. So innocence is what is praying this prayer. Christ is the one who prays this prayer, and we kind of uh, come alongside that as the church, as the bride of Christ. And that's the only way in which we can actually pray some of these psalms honestly. Hmm. Um, and so I think that is a new way of encountering God as this kind of, let's invite him as judge, but then realize, well, it turns out Nathan's getting judged in this too, so yeah. we have to figure out what that looks like. Yeah, that's helpful. And I want to circle back to that, especially as we talk about the third question, because I think that's really fruitful. I, I, yeah, the God as judge is very clear mm. in this psalm that this is his role. I was thinking that we are not under tyranny here in uh, mm. the United States of America as we speak today. But sometimes the the tendency of people under tyrants, and I don't mean this in a, in a judgmental way, but tyranny can take up all of our imaginative life in a sense. Mm -hmm. And it, it does that because it imposes, that's part of the wickedness of right. it, right? It imposes a way of life and so demands that of us. But I think sometimes even in a quote unquote free country, we can give our rulers the same power of taking up the imaginative scope of life. And I think we, we do witness that. I think like if you pay attention around elections to the language of salvation and deliverance, <laughs> And those words might not be used, but they are implied sort of between the lines totally. all throughout. That to me is sort of like, it's a fundamental kind of abdicating or giving up of sort of an imaginative scope of God's dominion in the world. But I thought like in some sense, one of the things I encounter or learn about God in the psalm is it is, it is a helping put in right order the sequence. And it, and it feels like an obvious thing, right, to say that, well, He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's God above all gods. And yet it is so easy, both through literally like political strategists wanting to manipulate us <laughs> and just through our own inclinations to seek kind of to invert those orders. And so like kind of the the scope of what people are capable of doing kind of suddenly feels like it is beyond God and beyond his judgment and kind of running rampant. So I thought this psalm... Maybe the most positive thing I can say about it in my first glance was like, yeah, it's helping us kind of reorient. And the psalmist clearly has a view of God where God is capable of bringing this judgment upon these people. A pretty, pretty gruesome and graphic judgment, but mm. like there's a right order to the to the cosmos there. And he's kind of uh, naming it for us, which I thought was, was important. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting. There is something about sin that acts as judgment upon sin in a way. I think we see a little bit of that here in the psalm. But I think God's justice can't be the way it is unless time runs its course. I think there's a lot of cases where, I mean, it wouldn't be just if God just said at the first moment, he just wipes everything out. It's a different kind of justice maybe, but it's not the kind that he, that is like true of God's nature, I think. But I think some of the language, I think it picks up in verse seven, the idea of let them vanish like water that flows away uh, when they draw their bow, let their arrows fall short. It's this kind of idea of like, okay, they are oppressing someone as a ruler, right? God doesn't just like stop that from happening. Yeah. At least not all the time. Right. And it does seem to run its course and then just kind of, it fades away. Like the threat of the arrow flying in the air is still a threat. Yeah. But it falls short in the end. Like the waters, they might seem like, imagine these like storm season flood waters in Lincoln, California. Yeah. Right. That, you know, for a couple of days they're there and then two weeks or maybe a week later, the whole creek is like, it's gone. Uh-huh. There is no like threat anymore. And so, yeah, in the moment, it seems like this incredibly threatening danger that exists in the world. But with time, it goes away because that's what happens with that kind of use of power. And I think that's difficult to remember because that doesn't help you in a given moment uh-huh. other than the fact that it does give us hope. But that's 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 not easy. That's no. not the answer I want from God. I want God to, to stop things now. That's a really fascinating way of reading verse seven and eight in particular, that idea of kind of letting some things play out. Do you think that's the, that's the prayer? Like that's the heart of the prayer of the psalmist? I'm, I, yeah, I'm open to be, being persuaded away from this idea, but I think, I think this psalm in particular, like you don't have the dashing of infants against rocks language yeah, like right. you would find elsewhere. And actually, if you look at what he prays, like the breaking of teeth in their mouths, tearing out of fangs of the lions, it's interesting because it's not like this judgment that is very detached from the sin that takes place. Hmm. It's very connected to like, okay, what is, what is the threat that is like part of being a snake or serpent? It's, it's, it's the bite, right? It's the venom. Hmm. And if that's broken and destroyed, like that threat is no longer there. And so it's David's prayer for judgment is also a prayer for reprieve from the misuse of power, it seems. And so it's not like he's saying, okay, now that this is done, God judge them. Part of the judgment is the end of them being allowed to do that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lion, if it doesn't have teeth, what happens? Well, it, it dies because it can't eat. And so I think this is a very different kind of prayer than the, like the, the frantic God, like destroy all of them. Like there's some pretty harsh judgments in the Bible. Yeah. And this doesn't seem to be that kind of psalm. Okay. Talk with me. I mean... We're having conversations, so I'm not trying to set you up as an expert, but I'm, I think this interpretive kind of thread is really helpful. And listener, you'll just notice we're kind of moving through all the questions here. Sometimes the questions regularly all merge together. So I'll just throw out that we're also going to start talking about our third question. How does this psalm help with the spray? But I'm, I'm curious, like, so help me with verse 10. So we got, I, I really, I think this is, you're offering a pretty compelling and helpful reading that... There's almost like a proportional response kind of prayer here mm-hmm. to this imprecatory psalm. Like, this is what the people are doing. Would you remove their ability? Would you let that kind of peter out in some ways? Then I think, and this is what I think I named it as gobsmacked me in the first place. The verse 10 with the righteous dipping their feet in the blood of the wicked. Like, 
like how do you see these two going together or is the psalmist making a turn there or like what do you what do you think that's the one that i don't have an interpretive uh yeah yeah <laughs> that's okay for. that's yeah that, i think that gets really tricky when i think of if i'm thinking about the righteous and david being like hey let them dip their dip their feet in something i'm assuming it's like a cool stream or something uh-huh. friendly or it's like oh yes there's relief yeah, give us psalm 23 imagery here but i'm like i don't know that dipping my feet in anything's blood is helpful to me like i don't know i don't know <laughs> I what to do with thought. that like um, that doesn't sound good i would not enjoy that no yeah that's that's really <laughs> difficult and it's funny i looked up i don't want to take us off track i looked up i just out of curiosity because different psalms have like a different line that everyone's like yes this is like the core of the psalm oh sure For this one Psalm 58, you look it up on like Google Images. Yeah. It's always verse 11. Uh, well, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, But then I'm like, oh, but just before that, they're like the weirdest verse in this particular <laughs> song. All that to say, I don't, I don't verse know. Verse 11 is the Pinterest. Yeah, the Pinterest it, it totally verse. is. <laughs> yeah. There's infinite Etsy money to be made <laughs> yeah, that's right. off that. Oh, God. I don't know that I have a way to tie that in that, that kind of uh, reflects what I think David is praying um, because that is a very different, like that's a turn from all of what he's praying and i i don't think that david's praying for this to be a, a literal like yes let's let's put a fountain yeah <laughs> just yeah, outside yeah. the temple right. and then we'll do this yeah i do wonder if like it helps us name like i think what you were saying earlier is is like i find that a really compelling re- way of reading verses six through eight mm-hmm. but also going back to what you were saying earlier like god's justice is not justice if he doesn't let things play out to some degree kind of right. in his wisdom well, the same in the same way, maybe I wonder if these later verses, verse nine, which we don't really know what it means apparently, but then verse ten, uh, that God's justice is not justice if it is not proportional to what has been done. Yeah. So, in other words, the implication here seems to me is like the righteous people's blood has been spilt mm-hmm. at some point, and to just kind of let let the let the tyrants kind of peter out, so to speak, let kind of things just take their course, almost feels like the the, the cry of the martyrs, so to speak, still right. comes out against yeah. the wicked. And if there isn't wisdom in recognizing for us, and maybe this maybe this gets into kind of how we might pray the psalm or a way to pray the psalm, is that recognizing that sometimes God in his wisdom, justice looks like that regime just comes to an end. Like eventually like that person dies and that is a form of justice. In the same way, sometimes justice is a direct intervention. And maybe we see that more kind of eschatologically at the end of all things, most clearly kind of in the scope of our timeline. But I wonder if it is, if the psalmist isn't then kind of pairing like kind of two ways that God's justice must look in order kind of, yeah, for both, for both the injustices that are being done to be met. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that that is actually really helpful. I'm glad you had a better answer to that because I think that, <laughs> I think that looking at it, I think that does fit with that same line of thinking, the imagery on that is just so intense. Yeah, it that, is. That's, yeah, I think it's, yeah. it's more, maybe I'm more cut off guard to the point where I'm having trouble like rationalizing it in that way. But I think that is helpful. Well, I feel like it's appropriate though for us to be caught off guard because mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the things that the Psalms do. Like mm-hmm. they're, they are polished, polishedly unpolished. I don't know if that makes, makes sense, but this Psalm, and I think I'm stealing this from a commentator I read. It's like, it's like a scream. Like it just suddenly like, wallops you you're just reading the psalms you're going along and then occasionally the psalms do this where you're just like whoa what and so i feel like our disorientation like is appropriate in response to that as well i think the active question now is to circle around to okay what like maybe maybe here's some interpretive like framework 
that we've had that I've found pretty helpful. Mm-hmm. But what does it actually mean to pray this psalm? Do we pray this psalm? Can we pray this psalm? Can we pray it in this way? I'm really curious to hear to hear what you think. I think earlier you suggested no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nathan steers away from this one. Yeah, I think I think to take a page out of a lot of other pastors and theologians. Yeah, we're standing on shoulders here because this is not something I come up with on my own. I think turning very quickly to the New Testament and saying, okay, mm-hmm. how how does our relationship to Christ and through that to the Spirit enable us to pray? Because there, I mean, there's a lot of Psalms that I am not comfortable praying. I will pray them because I think we're called to do that in light of a relationship to Christ. When Paul says in Romans 8 that the Spirit prays within us with uh, groanings too deep for words, I think that that idea is deeply connected to this, Mm. where there is, I mean, fleshly Nathan has a lot of problems, right? But my soul, if I believe that it has been regenerated, if it's being transformed into the image of Christ, there is some innocence in that. There's a great Mm. deal of innocence in that and righteousness. And so that part of me can pray this honestly. With that part of me, there is this deep longing and this groaning that happens seeking for justice. Now, what it gets difficult is when my flesh kind of gets involved and says, yeah, I have this kind of vindictive outlook toward my enemies. I want to inflict that judgment myself. I think that's where it comes into conflict with my spirit. And so I think being aware of that and saying, okay, as I pray this, what is my motivation here? Is it because I'm it's this very like fleshly anger. Am I just indignant or is there this uh, righteousness that is kind of feeling this handing over of judgment to God and saying, God, like you see how this needs to be judged, whether swiftly or allowing this into run its course and then kind of double back on itself as the judgment. I think that's very difficult and something that we kind of learn to do over time. But I think that would be my inclination as far as how we learn to pray. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think your you move to the New Testament feels exactly right. I think another kind of complicating layer, one of the tensions we live with is what it means to both pray for our enemies, as Jesus has instructed us, mm-hmm. and pray for God's justice. Because those those two have different kind of layers to them, mm-hmm. I think. And I, I think in some sense, to pray for our enemies is to pray for forbearance often um, on God's part. But there is a, I do think there's a sense in which like we handle these Psalms with care, but I like what, what you were saying about Romans eight feels so appropriate too, is that I sometimes think of these Psalms as they give kind of a permission structure for the tones of our prayer. So if this makes sense, so as opposed to necessarily like as, as new Testament people, here are the words like pastorally, I would never like sit down with someone and say like, Hey, I think you need to start praying Psalm 58 and really inhabit, <laughs> you know, this Psalm and its words and start thinking about what it would be like to dip your feet in the blood of your enemies. Right. Like yeah. I would never say that. And I don't think that would be helpful for, mm-hmm. for anyone <laughs> meeting with me, but I can't imagine saying something like, Hey, like I, I hear like great pain and great agony and great frustration at these people. God can handle that agony and that frustration, that anger, even if it's directed at him, so to speak. And so to go back to that word, a scream, the scream mm-hmm. of this psalm, like in itself gives us permission to to scream our prayers, so to speak. Yeah. Even as I think Jesus helps us think, okay, what what is the content? What does the content become of our scream? So it's not that Jesus says, hey, pray for your enemies, and you better always just sort of do that in a happy light, 
like just delighted way. Mm -hmm. I think actually the Psalms in conversation with Jesus and his teachings and the way he lives and his sacrifice itself teaches us like there, there can be a kind of anguished cry, an anguished prayer, even as we pray for our enemies and as we long for God's justice. So I appreciate that's, that's one way I've kind of thought about this Psalm as kind of permission structure for a tone and an approach, even if maybe the particular content of it becomes transformed as we are transformed people. Right. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think about that? As you're saying that, I think that's where these Psalms are really helpful Yeah, because we can say, okay, yes, God can handle the fact that you have been deeply betrayed and hurt by a specific group of people. And you should be able to pray that God's judgment would come. But maybe there's a difference between praying for that and asking for God to form you in such a way that that anger is grown over time. And I think when we get to recognizing, okay, the content of my prayer has to be genuine. Like if Mm -hmm. I'm just praying words that I don't agree with and I'm just hoping that God kind of gives me some brownie points for it, Like we're, we're playing the wrong game. At the same time, I think we have to do the work of kind of examining our own words in our prayer. I think the action, the action of self-reflection on our prayers is valuable, but also like, like there's a way in which I think we can be grow paralyzed with self-reflection on our prayers. Hmm. And so I think there's, that's going back maybe to the word permission. There's also a permission for our prayers to be in process. Like, right. like, yeah, sometimes I'm sure there's prayers I pray where I would look back and say, I did not word that. Like, that's not the way I want to word it, (laughs) you know, as a follower of Jesus. And yet, does that kind of invalidate that prayer entirely? Well, I I want to say there's kind of grace even for our process prayers. Hopefully that's just kind of building on what you were reflecting, but an additional kind of piece. I I think think so key to this is maybe kind of dividing that. Like, what does my prayer life look like when it's things that are just kind of extemporaneously coming out of me? And that, that, that conflict between my flesh and my, my spirit. And then what prayers am I praying as like this righteous person who is only able to pray those prayers in light of my union with Christ and the church? I think there we can draw a clear line and say, okay, the Psalms, lots of Psalms I can't pray as like fleshly Nathan. Mm. But because of this relationship with God, I can pray that as being in some mysterious metaphysical ways internal to Christ. I can do that, but I have to be able to separate that from kind of prayers that just pop up because I've got some normal human issues going on. We're going to have to have you back to have a whole conversation about kind of my human issues. What the yeah, your human issues. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to I was going to I was going to say what what the lived experience of that looks like because I I have no disagreements with you. But then when we're sitting down and we're praying how do, how do we make that discernment? Well, Nathan, thanks for this conversation. Yeah, thank you, Super. Man. I hope it was helpful to listeners. It was stimulating to me. It was helpful to me. So maybe listeners will get a little bit, I think a little we bit have, out of it. I think we always have less answers after these, but we have some really good questions. We have some questions. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I always conclude with a verse kind of revisiting the psalm. And of course, in this one, I had the final verse. So let me, let me in the spirit of our conversation, read both <laughs> verse 10 and 11. To conclude, the righteous will be glad when they are avenged, when they dip their feet in the blood of the wicked. Then people will say, surely the righteous still are rewarded. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. Friends, go out and pray the Psalms. <laughs>